Welcome to the Apawa Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about our church, visit us on any Sunday or online at opawa.org.nz. We'll come up in a minute. You actually never told me about a photo, Rod. I know. I did a lot of Facebook stalking the other day. It was quite fun, actually. <laughs> there it is. Oof. There's a couple of likely characters on either side of you there. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. Got to say, the haircut's quite nice. Yeah, yeah, a bit short. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. This was at um, oh, Baptist Hui, probably about yes. five years ago, I'm thinking, something like that. Yeah. You so, can see that Petrini's already starting to edge out of the picture, because yeah. we've only got half of him. Yeah, you're edging in. I'm edging in, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Doug, um, tell us about your family of origin, mate. Where did you come from? Um, so I was born on a farm in Ahoka and, um, and uh, moved into the city, into Tennyson Street in Beckenham when I was six, six months old. And um, yeah, so I went to Beckenham Primary School and um, they were enjoyable years, really enjoyable years. And um, so I've got a, um, uh, uh, two sisters and um, one lives in Christchurch, one lives in Wellington. Yeah, and um, so my parents um, were an interesting couple. Um, my dad, my dad had depression, and so um, he would often uh, go missing for about a month or so while he was dispatched to his room to to get through this depression. And um, and then he'd appear again. So was he treated for it at the time? No, 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 he wasn't actually. Yeah, you know, we kind of—I don't know that we knew what it was really. Yeah. And my mother, um, my mother was um, um, incredibly uh, broken emotionally, and so um, I'd often hear my mum on the phone crying to her sisters, and um, and that was an interesting. Um, uh, shaping for me about how I viewed women as a young man, and um, so I'll be just sitting in my uh, sitting, playing with the trucks, as it were, or whatever, and, and uh, playing with toys and that, and listening to your mum on the phone as you're a two or three year old, and um, and seeing your mum crying and hearing your mum crying um, was an interesting experience because it made you feel like um, you wanted to help her in some way. So. So I formed um, out of that, uh, those times that, that women are weak and need my help, and um, which was an interesting, uh, that, that was certainly a, an interesting journey later on in life when I discovered that, um, uh, how that was causing me to act as a, as a person. So um, we never went to church, had nothing to do with uh, church at all. Um, my mother had grown up in the Catholic church and um, uh, uh, down in Fisher Ave, and um, and she had had um, uh, some bad experiences with the with the nuns and that sort of stuff. So um, church was definitely not part of any part of our um, uh, childhood. I was um, in standard five, which I think is form one, which is now year seven. I got the strap the most in the class, which is quite an achievement, and. Um, those days strapping was a, a thing and um, I won that year so that was pretty good <laughs> and, um, 
And uh, yeah, yeah, so um, left school, the, the, the day I was 15, the, um, I went to Hagley High School, and um, the day I was 15, the uh, uh, school principal said to me, you're 15 today, Doug. And I said, yep. And he said, you can leave now if you want. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I presently left and um, uh, kind of figured that school wasn't for me. And uh, I learned the 12 times table and I could um, uh, uh, spell a few words. So that was cool. I was off. And um, yeah. When you look back at that childhood, there was some positive stuff in it? Oh, yes, I was. Um, um, uh, relatively good at sports, and um, yeah, so I kind of excelled a bit at sports and that sort of stuff. But I, as time got on, I was a bit small to um, uh, the big Samoan boys would knock me over, and um, and so I gave up sports. I was about uh, 15, 14 or 15, yeah. So, um, yeah, so that was one of the positives. I had, I had plenty of mates um, uh, growing up in Beckenham. Uh, we had plenty of friends around the area, and I'd, um, yes, that was pretty good fun. Yeah. It sounds a really tricky environment for you and your sisters to grow up in. As you reflect back now, how have you and they processed that and made sense of it? Um, so for me, that was, um, uh, 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 I guess there was lots of not positives around it. And, and so I had to, uh, as uh, later on in life, I had to, I was forced to kind of deal with some of the um, belief systems that I had that came out of my childhood. And um, one was that women were weak and needed my help. So, um, so uh, that affected my marriage, that sort of stuff. And um, so, uh, and whilst um, Sharon went through quite quite some illness, um, and uh, ended up with a kidney transplant. And so I was really good during those times because um, she was weak and needed my help. And um, and. Uh, and so that all worked good until um, really she started to come, come out of that and, uh, and become uh, really strong in who she was and, and she was um, starting to tell me to um, buzz off. And so, um, so that was really interesting because um, I was suffering rejection and uh, wondering what the heck was going on. And, and so I had to do a, a big journey really in... Um, reforming my understanding around um, uh, women, that sort of stuff. And also because um, neither of my parents had a strong emotional framework, we wouldn't talk, sit around the table and, and talk about emotions and that sort of stuff. So, um, so I didn't kind of know that you could do all that sort of thing. So, um, uh, so later on in life, I discovered a holistic world that I, I never knew as a kid. And um, once I discovered that, I really took off as a person. But before that, um, I was kind of uh, continually inhibited, really. And, um, and uh, yeah, so. Mm -hmm. So, late teens, you left school, much to the um, approval of your principal by the sound of it. Yes. What did yeah. you then? Yeah, so um, that's when things started to get um, a bit rough. I. Um, uh, um, found myself in trouble with the law, and um, and so 
um, around about the age of 17, I was, I was um, pretty well destined to go to Borstal, which is, um, if you don't know, it's Young People's Prison. And, um, and so my name was in the paper, and, and a, um, a man that sure uh, used to share sheep with my father years before, who had a farm up in Hardin, um, saw my name in the paper, and um, and so they made a deal with the courts that I um, that I wouldn't go to prison, that um, that I'd go onto this farm, and so um, and from there I um, uh, went into a shearing gang, and um, and really enjoyed uh, uh, the shearing gang life. I I become very close with a lot of Maori people, and. Um, and kind of is starting to learn a little bit about a, a, um, a different lifestyle, a lifestyle where you sit around and, and uh, talk a lot together and, and share your lives together because these people done that. And I, I wasn't used to that, but I really enjoyed it. And that's, um, that, that really formed a lot of what I've taken into my Christianity, actually, around this whole thing of hurrying and... Um, and, uh, and, and that sort of stuff. But along with that came things like hard drinking, uh, gambling, and um, so, yeah, that was an interesting uh, uh, lifestyle. That was, um, so by now I had um, a fairly, uh, I think I had a drinking problem, actually. I didn't know I did, but um, I had a drinking problem and, um, and uh, a gambling problem as well. I wasn't a very good gambler. You know, I never used to seem to win anything, but, um, uh, but I'd, I'd have a crack at stuff. Yeah, so, um, but I was still emotionally uh, disconnected. And um, so whilst I was in amongst these people that I was starting to feel really warm with, um, I, I didn't have an inner framework to really be able to kind of know what to do with this lifestyle. You know? And, uh, yeah, so, okay. so there's any any mischief going on? I was in, and um, yeah, and normally come out worse. But anyway, yeah. So there were a series of significant relationships for you in life in the next few years. Tell us about that. Yeah. So um, the first one was um, Sharon. Um, I, I met this lady who. Um, uh, who started to evoke these feelings in me um, that I, I didn't know what to do with. Um, obviously, they were, they were love and that sort of stuff, and, um, and I kind of didn't have a clue what to do with these, um, these emotions that were, that were fluttering inside me. And so I'd run away, and um, um, the closer she got, the further I'd run. And... Um, but quite miraculously, um, Sharon kept pursuing me, and um, and so we ended up um, uh, 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 getting married, and um, and so that was that was a, a hugely significant time in my life. It was about twenty two or twenty three or something, twenty four, and um, yeah, so that was pretty. Uh, um, she was a brave girl, and. Um, and still is, and uh, but yeah, so that was an interesting um, uh, uh, period for me. Then we started having children, and we've had four children, and um, and one died as as a uh, after a month. And so, um, but one of the things we did when we got married is that um, we went out onto a farm and lived on a farm, 
out at uh, Chertsey, and uh, we were married a couple on a farm, which I think saved our marriage actually, because there was, um, you know, you couldn't kind of run away and and do all those things that um, that that running does, and um, so because there's nowhere to go, nowhere to go, yeah. and. Um, because we were, we were spending all of our money on booze, we um, didn't have kind of much to, to fall back on. So, yeah, so it was pretty uh, interesting in life. Um, and during this time as well, I, um, I, uh, one of my mates invited me to a movie, and it was called Jesus Christ Superstar. And, uh, and I remember seeing this movie, it was, um, it was, I thought it was a sensational movie. It was... Um, these guys out in the out in the um, in the desert, all singing and dancing, that sort of stuff, and long hair and that sort of thing. And and at that time, it was a bit I was kind of reattracted to that. I thought, oh, this Jesus seems like a pretty cool dude, really. And um, so I'd never pondered Jesus before. I didn't know anything about um, Christianity, um, but this Jesus, um, um, I was sort of attracted to him. I thought, oh, well, he's he's pretty cool, and. Um, so I was kind of, um, you know, had long hair and that sort of stuff and reasonably loose lifestyle, so I thought these guys were like that, so I was, I was very attracted to them, actually. Hmm. So that's your first glancing encounter with Christianity? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Then it got a bit more real. Tell me about Gordon McLean. So um, when, I, when I was 29 or 28, um, we moved into town, we had a couple of kids by then and moved into town and I worked at a place called Zip Industries and there's a guy there called Gordon McLean who's, whose brother owns McLean Motors, which is a um, car sales. But anyway, Gordon um, worked with me and um, so he would read his Bible before work and um, he wasn't... Uh, he wasn't a particularly bright chap, this Gordon, but anyway, um, but he'd read his Bible before work and, and I'd, I'd get into him about it and um, tell him, you know, it was a very good thing to do. But anyway, this guy, um, he'd done some um, things that kind of uh, got my attention. So we lived in um, Wainani Road, um, just opposite Norm Rigby, and, um, but he lived in New Brighton, and, and Zip Industries was in Brougham Street. And whenever it rained, I'd bike to work, and he'd take his car to work. But whenever it rained, he would give me his car keys, um, because he was a Christian, this guy. And um, uh, he'd give me his car keys to take his car to my house. He'd bike to my house then, so, so that I didn't get wet. And because oh, I thought this was great, you know, so... Um, and he also had this um, really awesome car, you know, that used to be a... Um, and so, uh, anyway, so I... Uh, and so this kind of spoke to me a bit. And, um, and then another day, this is in 1983, and the British Lions rugby team was here, and on Wednesdays they'd, they'd uh, play their games. And I used to get his radio off him uh, each Wednesday. He'd, he'd have his radio at work, and every Wednesday I'd say, oh, can I buy your radio, Gordon, so listen to the rugby. And this radio was a really old thing with uh, um, kind of tape around it and that. So anyway, we're, we're, um, I went to him this way Wednesday. I said, oh, have you got the, got the radio there, Gordon? He says, oh, no, I gave it to Jesus. I said, what, mate? He says, um, I gave it to Jesus. And I said, what do you mean by that? He said, um, so he's at church on Sunday night and someone um, wanted some money for some missionaries. 
he didn't have any money on him, so he shoves his, um, he put his phone, his um, radio in the um, offering thing. And um, that might sound nuts to us, but that really spoke to me. I thought, mm-hmm. it really started to speak to me about this, this Jesus who I'd kind of seen on this movie. And here's a guy who's kind of sort of living this funny way somehow. And um, so that was really interesting. Then I, um, one Sunday night, there was a movie on about a woman called Moses on TV. It was a lady called Harriet Tubman. And, um, and, and, and this woman lived a miraculous lifestyle. So um, she was bringing slaves out of the South uh, in, in America. And, um, and no one got hurt or injured. And um, quite an amazing, uh, amazing, but it was all miraculous. So, oh, sorry. And so I was, um, I was starting to um, uh, see all these miraculous things happen and thinking, man, this is crazy. And, um, and so, so between Gordon and Harriet Tubman and, um, and Jesus Christ Superstar, things are starting to happen, you know. Okay, but you're at that point. I remember when we were talking about this. Your marriage was starting to wobble. Yes, um, the the view I had on women and my um, lifestyle um, was uh, pretty tough for Sharon to encounter. Really, so um, she'd pretty well had enough, and um, so so she um, said, "Look, um, she's thinking about um, ending the marriage." I said, so what could we do? And um, her brother had been talking to her about Jesus, so she said, why don't we go to church and, and as kind of a final resort, really. So um, I, couldn't, I couldn't understand what church would do. But anyway, um, uh, so I went along on the first Sunday and um, saw people dancing in church and thought, shiver, that's a bit strange. Um, second Sunday, I saw people uh, in church falling over um, I thought they had heart attacks, but apparently um, it was the Lord touching them. I didn't kind of understand all this sort of stuff. But in the third week, um, I said, look, I'm not going. You go. And um, so Sharon did. And when she was away, um, Jesus came and, um, uh, and, and, and spoke to me in my lounge room and uh, clear as a bell. And I said, look, I don't know how to follow you, but I'll follow you forevermore. And um, so when she came home, I said, to, um, I think I'm one of these Christians now. And, um, and, um, and so um, the next Wednesday, I'm off to home group. And um, if I remember rightly, when Sharon came home from church, she wanted to smell my breath to see if I'd been drinking, <laughs> and, um, uh, which I hadn't. Um, however, I did carry on drinking. And I was drinking um, a lot of nights of the week. And when I drank, I sort of would just, everything would kind of fall apart. I wouldn't, uh, didn't worry about anything. I'd just do what I wanted to do. And um, so, but I run into this. So the church I was at, um, they started telling me about the rules. Like things like, you know, you need a haircut. You need to, um, um, you know, stop swearing stop drinking, stop all this sort of stuff and and it's like shivers I thought, man, I can't do all this and um, so so all these rules are kind of taught to me and I, I thought, I don't know I don't know what to do with the rules so I said, look, um, I tell you what, you guys know what you're on about I've never read a book in my life 
So I started reading my Bible and, and I taught to Jesus about whatever they told me to do. And three months into it, I was, I was drunk and on top of a table and asking where the party was and I was as saved as a bullet. And um, Jesus said to me, um, that's enough of that now, you can go home. So that was on the 30th of November 1983, so I haven't had a drink since. And, um, and it was quite incredible. So two weeks later, we get um, baptised in water on the, on the Sunday and um, I'm smoking 30 cigarettes a day and Sharon's smoking 50. And, um, and uh, when we got out of the water, I went into the car and was halfway through a smoke and the Lord said to me, you won't be doing this tomorrow. And so next day, I um, give up smoking as well. So, so Christianity is cool. It's saving me a whole lot of money. And, um, <laughs> and um, yeah, it's just quite But crazy. there's a miraculous bit to that. As someone who gave up smoking, who yeah, found it yeah. torture, how was it yeah. for you? Well, it was just, um, I, was, I was rolling shower and smokes for the next day and just kind of didn't feel like them. It was just, just a miracle, really. It's just, you know, God... God was just coming to me in all these ways. But however, I still had this emotional disconnect. So I had a thing called rage going on. And I didn't know what rage was. But um, I just thought it was normal to get so angry you couldn't see. And so that was... Um, you talked about a legalism too. Yeah, yeah. So the church... Um, um, it was. So I talked to people about how do you follow Jesus? And all they could tell me was the rules. And um, but I wanted to know how to follow Jesus because he, he, when I looked in the Bible, he was a bit of a radical dude. And um, I thought, well, how do these Christians follow him? How do they? What do they do? Um, and it, it felt very like I need to follow the rules, which I was never really good at. So um, so yeah, so that was that was kind of difficult, but I also stepped into to a bit myself as well. I'd, I'd wear a tie every Sunday and and um, for the first uh, six years, Rod. Cool. And um, I, I noticed your clothing's a bit... Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, so. I've never seen you in a tie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, so legalism was quite an interesting um, uh, part of our journey, yeah. Was there a sense in which, well, I've done this so every, it's easy for everyone else? Uh, yes. Yeah, so I, um, so, uh, so for me, you know, uh, smoking just went like that. Yeah. So next thing I'm telling Sean, well, you can just do what I do, what I do. And, um, and, but it wasn't like that for her, you know, but I couldn't, I didn't understand that really. I just thought, well, this is how Jesus works, so I must have it like that for everybody. Okay. Um, but it wasn't, wasn't working that way for everybody, right. you know, yeah. So I've become legalistic as well, actually. Okay. Yeah. So along the way, there was a sense of um, call to do the professional Christian thing. Tell us about how that developed. Um, so I, I would, um, I, right from the word go, I would talk to people about Jesus. And um, so I read this verse in John four thirty five that said that. Said that um, about um, don't say four months more than the harvest. Um, the harvest is in front of your eyes. So I, I started saying to Jesus, how does all this work? Because no Christians could actually tell me. I said, how do you work in the world, Jesus? You need to show me what, what you do. 
So, um, so he just said to me, he said, Doug, all you need to do is look and you'll see. And, um, and so, so I, would, I would look and I'd see and I'd listen to people and I'd hear pain everywhere um, and uh, emotional pain and, and, uh, and spiritual pain, that sort of stuff. And so I would, I would speak to that and, and things start to happen. You know, I'd see people, my sister was in um, uh, uh, Sunnyside, which is um, Hillmorton Hospital now. She was a day patient there. And um, I'd only been a Christian six months and, and uh, led her to Jesus and, and, um, and things changed big time for her. And you know her, eh, Ange, mm-hmm. in Wellington. And um, so, so things like that. My mum, the, the night that my dad died, um, my mum shakes my dad. We're all there. And my mum shakes my dad when he's just about dead and says, um, Ralph, if only you could tell me you love me. And I thought, wow, man, what was she saying that for? So I was seeing these things and hearing these things in front of me. So, so through mum saying that, um, uh, sometime later, I led mum to Jesus through that, through what she said to dad that night before he died. And um, so I was kind of learning this way of um, doing things. Um, my dad died and, uh, and our daughter died within three months of each other, so that sent me into a bit of a tailspin. And so a bit of a breakdown, really, in the 1990s and, and, and really reconstructed my life. So I went through about three years of um, working through this emotional pain and, um, and uh, met a guy called Andy Edwards um, who uh, was a pastor of Priests Road Baptist and this guy had a really good inner world. He understood his whole emotional world and, and was able to articulate that really well. So I went on a journey with him and with Sharon and... Um, uh, and with Jesus, really, and um, got through this. I, I was having a shave one day. As I looked in the mirror, um, as I was shaving, um, it was obviously the Holy Spirit said to me, um, uh, uh, Doug, you, you never had a father. You had a dominant male adult figure in your life, and that's how you're acting. And, um, and so uh, also realised that I had this thing called rage, going on where I'd get so angry I couldn't see, I'd, I'd pick my kids up with one hand and just kind of all this really messy stuff really. And, um, and God um, took me through a process of the two or three years of, uh, through Sharon and through this um, pastor as well to bring healing to that. And um, so with that came an emerging framework of, of how to... Um, uh, reach people in the world, you know, that um, there's, there's all this pain everywhere. And um, so um, uh, I was, uh, and, and part of this was shaping me to become a pastor. In 1992, um, God said to me one night, you're going to pastor a church one day. And I said, I went, the shower was in the bath. So I shot through the shower and said, oh, the Lord just spoke to me. And she said, oh, what do you say? She said, um, oh, you're going to pastor a church one day. So she nearly drowned and um, <laughs> had to grab her by the hair and lift her up. And um, No, not quite. But, um, but anyway, she said, um, she said, Doug, you're the furthest thing from a pastor and uh, sort of thing. And I said, I said, no, no, this is what the Lord said. She said, well, how will we know? 
I said, tell you what, we'll pray about it and ask him to reveal it to us, to both of us, but we won't tell anybody. And the next day, Sharon was um, uh, walking up a driveway somewhere, and this lady called her aside and said, oh, I've got a word for you, and that, um, that you and your husband are going to pass through church one day. So she rings me at work and says, oh, who'd you, who'd you tell? I said, I haven't told a soul, mate. You know? And so, um, so, so we kind of knew in 1992 onwards that one day we'd pass through church. And um, so, yeah, so that kind of journey started to establish. And, um, and then in the year 2000, um, by now I had a, um, I was working in a place, I had a staff of about 50 people. And I worked with all these young guys who, um, a bit like me, dropouts from school, that sort of stuff. And we were making ovens to go around the world uh, for Moffat's uh, gas ovens. And, um, and so these young guys would say things to me like, so I'd talk to them, I'd have team meetings and talk about, I wouldn't talk about work, I'd talk about you know, how to do conflict resolution, all these sort of things. And um, So these young guys would say to me, oh, you're like a father to us, you know, and um, you talk to us about things that our dads never talked to us about, you know. So, so um, and in, in the year 2000, I turned 46, and uh, I rang Sharon and said, oh, Sharon, um, I think it's time to leave. And we've been there, I've been at the job 15 years, and... Um, I said, what would you say if I had him a notice in? Because uh, I work here till I'm 50, I'll probably be here till I'm 65, but I won't be a Christian. I said, I think Jesus has got something else for us to do. And so she said, yep, let's give it a go. So, so with no education, um, uh, I started to... So I went to, um, to Drug Arm, asked if I could use their vans to um, take the glue sniffers from town up in the hills and... Um, so I'd grab, a, I'd go up on the hills and um, with the glue snippers from around town, that sort of stuff, and um, we'd sing songs together. And, you know, we'd, we'd talk about their pain and all that sort of stuff. We'd cry together, laugh together, and, and um, the rules that I made for them when I, when we went uh, into when I took them, coming picking them up, they had to be straight, otherwise we couldn't talk. So yes amazing real amazing times of those you know in the year 2000 and seaview christian center as well yeah so that came after that i um in 2001 we went to work with grant brewster at um seaview christian center and uh, youth work and um done that for four years and um amazing things happened there one one lady was in a coma um, in hospital in a coma and I, was, and I sent someone to see her uh, it was on Christmas Day actually and um, and the lady prayed for her, she saw an angel come out of her coma, comes to church um, comes and works with us that sort of stuff, just just crazy miraculous things we go on, eh? Yeah, so, yeah. then Avonhead yeah, Avonhead in 2005 um, we wanted to be part of a a um, Baptist church. We felt that the Baptist church was a safer um, uh, 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 place to be. We'd been in Pentecostal churches, and um, not sure about that now, Ron. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, so we applied for a role at Avonhead Baptist Church of associate pastor, and they already had their associate apparently. And um, but they, uh, so when we went for the interview, we were told that they already had their associate pastor. And we were halfway through the interview and the Lord said to me, you'll be working here in two months. 
you know, they rung us a week later and said, oh, look, we've got a bit of a problem. Um, we already had our associate pastor, but when you guys come along, we, we want to employ you as well. So, um, so they employed two associate pastors when they were only going to do one. And um, when I was there um, as the associate pastor in charge of evangelism, um, the Lord clearly spoke to me and said, oh, you'll, you'll be the senior pastor here. Um, and so, so within two years, we're the senior pastors of um, um, uh, even here Baptist Church. And then things really got interesting. Things really got interesting thing, uh, then because um, um, a, lot of them, a lot of the older people went too keen on having an ex share of pastoring their church. He calls everybody mate and buddy. And um, so that was interesting. Plus, along with that, um, uh, at the same time, Sharon's kidney, um, she had to have a kidney transplant, which is absolutely huge. And um, I, I got prostate cancer. And um, so, yeah, so that was um, a, a harrowing first two or three years, really. After a while, so I brought this holistic stuff into the church around um, uh, one of the things that culturally we're not great at in New Zealand is our, our kind of emotional worlds, especially for men. And so I started to bring this into the church and quite a few people were quite threatened by that. But um, over the course of time, people started to see that... Um, it was changing their marriages, and um, people were going deeper. They were able to do conflict a lot better. They were able to be um, peacemakers, uh, not peacekeepers. And um, so, so especially in the leadership team, there was huge changes going on in marriages and that sort of stuff. And yeah, and and so, and also in their families. So there was some really cool things happening. I never got it to the outs, right to the outsides of the church, but. Um, uh, but, uh, but it was clear to me along the way that God, uh, this was our training ground for where God wanted us to be uh, the next couple of things. One of the things that you talked to me about when we were discussing this was you've got a language to be able to yes. express that stuff. What do you mean by that? So um, uh, originally when I started talking about the, the emotional um, quadrant to our faith, um, people uh, were saying, oh, this is kind of like New Age. And, um, and so I wasn't bringing a, enough of a scriptural reference to it. And, um, and so, so it took me a while to... So what was going on for me in my inner world um, needed to... I needed to do a better job of getting a, um, a, a, a biblical framework around that. So... So once I got that, um, people were able to feel more comfortable with the sort of stuff we were talking about, eh? Mm. And then there was a sabbatical. Yeah, so in 2013, uh, yeah, 2013, late 2013, I went on sabbatical. And I was walking across Island uh, Park, just opposite university, and as I was, I was walking in the town, as I walked, um, all of a sudden I just raised my hands up and, um, and I, I just realised that actually I'm free, that God was, um, God was going to do something. Um, uh, that, because I really, not only was, was Avonhead probably not the right fit for the church for me, um, it probably wasn't the right fit for me for the church either. 
you know, so while well, some great things happened there, and God definitely called us to it, um, there was other work for us to do. And um, so, so this sabbatical was really interesting because um, someone died on the east side, um, Evelyn, a lady called Evelyn McKenzie, her husband died, um, Angie McKenzie, and um, we knew him really well. And I said to Sharon, when I'm going to, the, um, I'm going to uh, this funeral today, if the pastors of the church that was from Lima Baptist, if they asked us to, um, if they asked us to look at their church, um, would I be able to say I'm interested? And she said, "Oh, you can, anyone?" And and quite miraculously, really, goes to the in, uh, to the um, to the funeral, and the pastor comes to me and says, "Oh, would you would you be interested to have a look at um, Lima Baptist?" So that was the start of our journey to. Um, to limit. And there's a lot of the power connections in that journey. Yeah, too. yeah. Actually, I forgot to say that before I was a Christian, or when I just became a Christian, Norm Rigby, um, Norm and Bethany lived just opposite us. And I'd seen Norm in the mornings about six o'clock in the morning, you know, in the winter time, he'd have his uh, window open, his, his curtains open and his light on. And I could see him reading his Bible. And, um, and this really spoke to me. So that's one of my power connections, or our power connections, but another one is um, when we went to Linwood, um, Hugh, Hugh came along and, um, and said, you know, did we want some ham with evangelism? So Hugh came and um, helped us out with that, which was um, pretty huge. Um, he gave me the evangelism side, I gave him some of the inner world stuff, and so it was kind of a bit of a, a bit of a deal, eh, bro? And, um, so it was really good for each other, and um, hopefully good for your marriage. Is it good for his marriage? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so that was really cool. And um, and Al Al Sands um, came along, and um, Al you know helped us out with um, lots of stuff around the church as well. And and um, yeah, really. Uh, and you, Rod. You know, so um, it was just a really good, you know, lots of good connections. And um, by now, though, um, you know, I was really in the, in the groove with ministry. Uh, the Lord was um, totally blessing what we're doing, this language that we got around. Um, you know, I used to hold up the five fingers. Um, we're spiritual beings, emotional beings, physical beings, social beings, and um, intellectual beings. And so people in the church would know those five fingers and... And what I say to them is, um, your spiritual being is in here somewhere, but your emotional being is in here somewhere as well. And, um, and, uh, and so, so I would unfreeze, the Lord would use me to unfreeze people's emotions. I noticed it here with some as well. And, um, and uh, so God would use me in that way. And so what would happen is, um, this would revive, so long-term Christians would find uh, renewing in their faith um, and reviving their faith and they'll find aspects of the faith that they never knew before. And um, I'd use the same language for non-Christians. So, um, and so non-Christians would come to Christ through this um, of, uh, way of uh, living as well. And um, interesting that I'd use the same language with Christians and non-Christians. Because a lot of the Christians had never been taught this stuff. They'd never never kind of um, seen the, the correlation between their, their emotional worlds and their spirituality. 
and so um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty awesome, really. Yeah. And, um, and then there was this restlessness. Yeah. So um, just before, uh, just over a year ago, um, the church was going incredibly well. Um, we built a really awesome leadership team, um, and um, and they were going really well. And as things were happening, people were becoming Christians and getting set free. As I say, and Christians were changing as well. And um, but I noticed within myself that um, I said to Sean one day, I said, "I think God's leading us on to something else." And um, she told me to kind of pull my head in that, um, Doug, you're 66 years of age, and that um, what are you looking at something else for? And I said, no, no, I don't know. I said, God, it seems to me that God is doing something with us. So, so we came back this time last year, and then Sharon, who was working full-time in the church as well, she started to feel restless. And um, so in last um, February, we went for a walk in Hamna, and, um, and we threw a boomerang out to the Lord. We said, Lord, if you want to do something else with our lives, um, then um, we're just going to throw a boomerang out. Whatever comes back, if we both agree to it, then, um, then uh, we'll, we'll look at it. And quite miraculously, the, the Presbyterians got a hold of us and said that um, they, wanted this, uh, they offered us this job to work in Aranui in Wainoni, just kind of like um, uh, uh, building relationships with people and seeing what happens. And so we left Lima Baptist in June and July, started on that role there. So um, it's been a pretty amazing role, really. So awesome things are happening and God's doing stuff. It's cool. It's cool. So any thought on retirement? Um, retirement, Rod. Um, um, you said you're 69. No, I'm not, mate. I'm 67, bro. And um, so, uh, so yeah, uh, retirement is not really, I guess, um, when you live like I do, I don't know you ever really retire because wherever I go, things happen. I don't mean to be silly. They just do, you know. It's kind of like, um, yeah, things happen. So um, I think having a balance of fun and holidays and work and all that sort of stuff. Um, I also disciple men, so I have quite a few men that um, we, we walk together. And so I don't see that finishing, really, um, until the Lord, Lord calls me home, really, I suppose. So, yeah, so, um, yeah, so it's... Um, I might stop working for money, but um, I don't know if I ever retire, bro. Good on you. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're delighted you've come here. That's oh, great. part of us. Um, it seems to me that uh, as I've reflected on your story, um, the love of a good woman has been a very healing yes. thing, a real way that God has worked in you. Yeah. Um, but as a, I used to describe you as an evangelist, and you'd get grumpy with me because you'd say, "No, no, no, Rod, I'm a revivalist." Yeah. And it seems to me that you're a sort of combination evangelist and spiritual director. Right. And that you 
your, the way that God has shaped you is to start with people's pain and their feelings and their heart. And yeah. the gospel comes, out of that. comes, comes yeah. follows that. So there's a real deep love for people yeah. that I sense in you, and I have valued our friendship since we connected, was it mm. six or seven years ago? Previously yeah. thought each other were, well, we won't go into that. <laughs> Didn't have a high opinion of each other, but we actually found in God that yeah. we could support each other, and I've really valued that. Um, and you've seen such a harvest. Mm. both with Christian people and with non-Christian people and healing and wholeness and all that. And I, I want to pay tribute to you on that. Thanks, Brad. Um, you've been amazing for a lot of people. And just very briefly, yeah. there were two scriptures that you talked about that meant masses to you. 30 seconds on Isaiah 9.6. So the last bit there is called the Prince of Peace. Um, so that word peace is actually shalom. And uh, if you look at what shalom means, it's actually a lifestyle. And, um, and so uh, Christianity is called the way. So it's a way of living. And, uh, and so this lifestyle is um, incredibly powerful. And so, so this lifestyle is so powerful that, it, that it's, um, it not only affects us personally, but it affects everyone around us. So... So for Christians, um, what should be not, what's supposed to happen is, um, in fact, we're all called to be kinsmen redeemers, which means that we're we're all called to. Um, so the effect of the gospel should continue all the way through our lives, and uh, and uh, to continue to transform us all the way through our lives. But and that transformation then is, is supposed, this is how the gospel is supposed to work, is supposed to go to every relationship around you. And so I was the first one in my family to become a Christian and then, and then it just it continues to flow to everyone around me. In, in my, and so that's what that means. And so, um, so Jesus, um, so that's what he was spoken of in, in Isaiah 9.6 and, and this is him saying it here. Right? He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Again, that word peace there is actually, uh, uh, the word is shalom. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Uh, notice it's our hearts. And do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not let them be afraid, our hearts. And um, lots of Christians live in fear. We're not supposed to live in fear. Perfect love casts out fear. And, um, and so... Uh, again, when you understand the meaning of that, Jesus is saying, we don't have to go out there and chase people. Um, the, the power of this working in our lives, um, people are supposed to, uh, number one, either be threatened by it or drawn to it. One of the two, all the time. And um, it's the power of the gospel uh, working in us. So, um, yeah, so I... Um, yeah, you know, so I I live that out, help others live that out, you know, and um, yeah. Doug, thanks so much for coming and sharing your life. Um, it's been inspiring, and God go with you in this new venture with the Prezies. <laughs>